the holidays are upon us. We are starting to watch in half or maybe, well, Thanksgiving on, uh, started watching Christmas movies. Oh, yeah. You have any go-tos? Like or, Every year you got to watch? Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase. I mean, that's, to me, in, in our household, it's kind of a regular one. I do know that my wife really likes The Santa Claus. Yeah, the three movies with Tim Allen, yeah. Home Alone, you know, check. There's some animated ones, or like The Grinch with Jim Carrey that we all watch. But I do have one that's probably not on everybody's list. Ernest Saves Christmas. You know, the good news is, is that on neither one of our lists, Reed, is any Hallmark Christmas movie. No. Now, hey, if there was one with Jim Varney in it, I'd be in. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 254. So we start to finish out the year. That is Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith. Hey, Reed. I'm over here uh, busy downloading Ernest Saves Christmas because I've never seen that movie. What? Oh, <laughs> so good. So good. Uh, it has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but we do welcome one and all to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for tuning in. I uh, would like to give a quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. You can navigate over there. You can find the show notes for this episode you're listening to, all the kinds of links that we may mention and, and all that kind of fun stuff. You can certainly find ways to track Chris and I down, Twitter, LinkedIn, all that kind of stuff while you're there. Also, you'll notice a bunch of other shows, a bunch of the episodes, hosts, et cetera. We encourage you to, uh, to dig around, see what else you might find. While you're there, you'll notice up at the top, the TPS report. Right there in the top navigation, click on that, drop your email address in there, and you will start getting an email from us each Monday morning with a few articles to start your week. That's all we use it for. We promise not to try to sell you anything or sell your information. Uh, it's just a way for us to uh, uh, send you a few pieces of info to get your week started. So we'll pause here for just one second while you go check out the website, and then we'll be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. So Reed, you know, this week's 
TPS report that goes out every Monday, which you just mentioned yes. for people to subscribe to. It had a really good title today that kind of brought me in. And it led to a series of studies that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, that The title was, Is the Era of Healthcare Consumerism Finally Here? That was a really good question. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> it kind of depends on what uh, what article you read about 2022, I guess. It's hard to believe we're you know launching into 2022. But yeah, it, it, it is an interesting thought. I, I do think because of the last... 20-ish months that has uh, maybe accelerated change a little bit, as you might imagine. Um, and so we do see you know, that consumer starting to take more control, making more decisions, especially as it relates to digital. And we also see m- many healthcare organizations responding to that, meeting that, that consumer online and really seriously looking at reinvesting in their digital strategies to support that overall experience. So I think that it, the nexus is, is perfect right now in that we have this burgeoning trend of healthcare consumerism, which has been here for years. And the focus of the pandemic has caused health systems to really think and, and double down on trying to be more focused on how they're addressing consumer experience. So this really leads to a series of surveys that just recently came out that we thought would be kind of interesting to dive into, which has some interesting data. Let's do it. First one uh, from our friends. I always like to refer to people as our friends <laughs> over at Press Ganey, but it's their uh, consumer experience trend for 2021. So a study that they that they did. Yeah, to look at different you know levels of consumer experience and really trying to understand level set where we're at in the current state, and also provide some interesting findings and analysis um, that we could take forward as health systems in, into the future years. They surveyed more than a thousand U.S. adults to take a pulse of the current consumer preferences and expectations. And there's a lot of information that's in this study that I thought would be really good for us to kind of drive into. So one of the first things they brought out is they, they started to map out what they call the modern patient journey. We always talk about patient journeys, Reed, but this mm-hmm. isn't this is a modern one. And I'll tell you that it's the the journey is not necessarily that much different, but some of the steps along the way change a little bit. The first one, as we always talk about, you know, when you look at the customer journey or the patient journey, is the discovery phase where people learn about organizations or learn about care offerings in their market. Yeah, absolutely. They talk in here about the patients do rely on these digital sources. Um, and so that's what we're you're talking about is we're moving ahead. Certainly people are taking control, but a lot of it's due to the fact of, of digital, right? And so they talk about the reliance on these digital sources being 2.2 don't forget the point two times more uh, than doctor referrals when choosing a primary care provider. So again, looking online, looking at reviews, for example, things like that when choosing primary care. That makes you stand up and notice, right? Digital is 2.2 times more influential than a doctor referral. Interesting. The next phase is consideration. So this is where they start to consider, like, which is the right type of care? Well, in this particular study, they show that patients will consider 2.7 online sources and five and a half online reviews on average during their provider selection process. Wow. Hmm. That's significant. Many organizations out there do not have, you know, control over that, what those reviews are. To say that on average patients are considering 5.5 online reviews, that makes you wonder, right? Like, how do we respond to that? 
Well, I mean, if you think about it, parents, when having their 2.4 children, are looking at 2.7 online sources that encapsulate 5.5 online reviews. Sorry, I just want to say a bunch of numbers. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's interesting, right? I, I think it's interesting that they're going to uh, more than one, but really more than two, like almost three online different sources. Is that your hospital website? Well, maybe, uh, hopefully. But you know what? It's not the only one, even if they are making it there. And so the fact that they're going to look at 5.5 reviews, and if you think about that from just a consumerism standpoint, people do, you know, if you see a bunch of really, really good reviews, like if I look at something on Amazon and it has over four stars and there's thousands of reviews, I probably don't look at any of the actual verbatims, right? I just look at the star rating and go, okay. There's critical mass there, like that looks fine, you know. But if there's if it's four out of five and there's 27 reviews, I'm probably going to click into it. I'm going to sort it by most recent and see kind of what the most recent piece is, you know. Anyway, you kind of go through, like, let me see a couple of good ones, a couple of negative ones. What what was their complaint? You know, that kind of thing. Which leads really to the third step in this modern consumer journey, uh, selection, where they indicate a high-level finding is that ratings and reviews are the number one factor that influences a consumer's decision to book an appointment. It's interesting, right? I mean, again, you know, we want to know. We want we want to see that feedback. And, you know, when it's talking about booking an appointment, that's kind of the next piece that they talk about here, which is scheduling, and that sixty three percent to uh, you know prefer to book online or digitally versus calling in. So again, you know, they're going to look at those ratings and reviews when they're doing the selection and when they're ready and actually want to book an appointment, they want it to be online. Well, I think that kind of speaks to the expectation that online booking is much easier than calling. And I think that that's why it's what 63% prefer to book online, whereas 36% prefer to call. I think that the thought is, is that I can book online much more convenient time for me. The probably the steps are that much condensed, right? It makes it so much easier. So it's important to think about, uh, and, and that kind of that convenience and ease of access kind of flows into the fifth step too. Absolutely, and that's the actual care delivery component. It's like one million percent increase, you know, from twenty nineteen. <laughs> so, no, I think they say it's three hundred thirty eight percent, which it might as well be a million percent. That's an absurd, you know, kind of hockey stick growth on the chart uh, as far as telemedicine appointments uh, since twenty nineteen. People want to do things online. That's in the consideration selection, and even now, you know, booking an appointment. Well, now they want the care to actually be delivered in that same environment. Gosh, is the future world we're just going to do everything online? It seems like that's mm-hmm. like it seems like that's where we're headed. It's interesting too that the sixth step in the customer journey is satisfaction, and they say that the number one factor in earning a five star review, which by the way influences everything before, right? Mm-hmm. All the steps before, right, right. is the quality of customer service during the visit. That's not a surprise to me. Again, thinking about that, if you have a bad customer experience within a patient visit, they could go online and basically influence future people referring into your organization. It's amazing. And then finally, they talk a little bit even about referral leakage. You know, healthcare systems certainly are tracking that quite a bit. And we usually don't look at it this way as far as like the online world goes. Referral leakage, we look at, you know, what what doctors in the system are referring outside the system or something like that. 
but they talk about the fact that, you know, 84%, so the vast majority would not see a provider that was referred to them that has less than a four-star rating. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that it was referred. And so in most cases, I think this would be a specialist or even a subspecialist. But so that four-star rating really does, uh, or higher, really does matter, not just in that initial selection, finding a primary, you know, I'm new to town and I need to go see, you know, or my kid's sick or I need to go see a wellness check or digital mammography appointment or some, you know, some wellness-based thing. It's also as it relates to those within your system, for example, referring to others within the system. So the study, and it's a pretty great study, which we'll link to in the show notes here, but the study goes into kind of highlighting a couple of things that really reinforce the fact that digital is here to stay and it's an influencer now on the overall experience. And so one of the first things they came out with, Reed, is they said that digital drives choice. 57.4% of consumers prefer the convenience of using a mobile device. Okay, so that's above 50. That kind of reaffirms sort of the research I've done through the websites that I manage, that we have more mobile traffic, that's for sure. And as we mentioned before, right, that these consumers are using on average 2.7 different sites in their care-seeking journey. But let's compare that to like 2019, prior to the pandemic. That represents a 22.8% decline in the use of search engines. They're now going to sites. Interesting, huh? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly they've done a good job with SEO over the years to build some brand equity or something like that is what I'm assuming has happened here. You know, they're talking here about a 53.7% increase in the usage of healthcare review sites. So again, not Google or Yelp or something like that, but healthcare specific. So health grades, vitals, WebMD, et cetera. And lastly, these trends are kind of indicating this convergence between healthcare and retail behaviors, because in the retail space, we're seeing that those same things are happening. So in this particular case, you could see that the, even the way that consumers are searching online is starting to shift, which leads to the second thing we want to highlight. This talks a little bit about the actual selection of providers in this digital age. And so they're talking here about a little north of 50% of patients turn to the web when choosing a PCP or a new primary care physician, uh, while 23, almost 24% first seek uh, referrals from another healthcare provider, then 44 from an insurance or benefits manager. And then 23.8% rely on a referral from from a uh, provider when choosing a PCP. So if you think about that, the the majority are going to the web first. About a quarter of folks are looking for a healthcare provider to provide a referral. And then the rest is kind of scattered around insurance websites, things like that. To think about that, you know, when we we talk a lot in health systems about referral and managing referrals, and I think that all of those things are very valid to have internally, but, you know, a number one driver now of referrals is happening online. So that is now should be part of the physician referral conversations when you're having them within your, in your organization. Let's turn to another finding really quick, Reed, about search, right? We talked about before that search is declining in the selection of, of, of consumers. But they found here in this study that over 65% of consumers use search engines in their journey to care. I think that might be understated. Yeah, I honestly think that we could probably round that number closer to 100. Yeah, especially if you're talking about 
in the overall journey? Like, is it the initial step? Maybe, maybe not. And that's kind of what that earlier stat was talking to, I think. Pretty much everybody is going to go online at this point, whether that's to social, to you know, search, uh, to whatever it may be, to start researching and looking for and gathering information to help them kind of in that journey and better make that decision. But here's here's interesting additional you know double click on that st- on on the using search. The way they look for search varies. Um, the majority of people are going to type in the provider that they're looking for locally. So they're using localized searches. Not not a big surprise to us. But only 16% are going to search by entering uh, you know, what they call the concern, condition, or treatment needed into the search bar. They're not searching by conditions and treatments so much. Only 16% are. They're now searching for provider type and locality as being the major majority of drivers. We've done a lot of work around kind of optimizing around conditions and treatments in the past. Is that slowly starting to filter away? Is that coming at a later part of the, the journey? What are your thoughts? I don't know. It, it's hard. I, I don't because I see it through the lens of knock on wood, uh, r- relatively healthy kids, right? That just maybe have some allergies. You know, you kind of get the maybe have a cold or something like that every so often, something like that. But yeah, I mean it. It's it's literally more trying to find the person versus doing a lot of research around conditions and things like that, at least, at least for us. I, again, this study is really fascinating and I encourage everybody listening in to go to the show notes, click on the link and, and download it so you can read through because it gets into a lot of other things like talking about reviews and how to be competitive online. And um, it's, it's just really a, a really interesting deep dive into some of the stuff that they found. But why don't we do this, Reed? Let's take a break now. And when we come back, let's talk about another study that gets into preferences and care selection and bias in healthcare. We'll do that right after this break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Before the break, we talked a little bit, certainly uh, around kind of the consumer and consumer journey, if you will, that experience, I think is how Prescani framed it. Uh, and, but we did talk a lot about selecting physicians. That, that was a lot of what kind of last piece was about, certainly. And so we found this other report, that uh, a white paper from HealthSpark, which is actually a Kairos company. And, and we, did, we did reference this a few weeks back when we were talking about uh, provider directories and things like that. But we thought it was an interesting one to pull some points back into here as it relates to preference, peer selection, bias, you know, things like that, right? 
So this, and again, we'll link to it, but it's a white paper called A Provider Like Me, Research on Preferences, Care Selection, and Bias in Healthcare. What they saw when doing this was that people want to understand more detailed information about their providers. So again, not so much just where they're located and what specialty they are. They're getting into things like, you know, the basic stuff that we talk about, right? Obviously, their specialty, obviously, where they where they practice, where their affiliation, which hospitals they're affiliated with, but even a deeper dive into things that are what I would consider not necessarily top of mind when, when I start to think about data. So first, first of all, like gender or ethnicity, right? That's one of the, that's two of the factors that jump out. And they're likely to choose, and they found that people are more likely to choose folks of the same gender, age, maybe race, things like that. And in in the reason for that, the reason they say people gravitate towards, I don't know that, you know, you think about this, and it's probably kind of the way we are just in our lives anyway, right? We gravitate towards people that look and sound and act like we do. You know, because we feel like there's going to be some commonality there, things like that. Well, you translate that to healthcare, and, and they say that they believe that there'll be less discrimination, that they'll give better care, that they can trust the provider more, things like that. I remember a number of years ago, Reed, we were talking about like a match.com for healthcare providers where you're trying to find someone that's like you. This makes much more sense, particularly as this data is starting to bring forward gender, ethnicity, what, uh, you know, uh, even things when you get into like languages spoken, that kind of makes sense. But other things that, you know, I've also noticed in research, LGBTQ identity, right? Sexual orientation and things like that. That's really playing into it. They want to see that that's probably why photos are very important because they want to see what that provider looks like in part to see if if they see themselves, if they're a member of the community, um, you know, or if they look like them. That's exactly right. And so in here, uh, they found, you know, a couple of interesting data points. Again, we'll link to this, but for example, it's something very very easy and straightforward, right? 67% of men have a male doctor. 67% of women have a female doctor. Now, you know, one thing I would say is, I'm going to make a generalization here. I think when you talk about women having a doctor, for the most part, they're probably thinking they're OB-GYN, right? Uh, Versus like a primary care physician or a family physician. Not in all cases, but in a lot of cases, that's who they're going to identify. And at least my experience has been a lot, I don't know if it's the majority or vast majority, but a lot of OBGYNs are female. So again, I'm not trying to say that these numbers aren't correct or something like that, but 67% of men, male doctors, 67% have a women doctor, right? If you kind of go through some of this, you see things like 80% of Caucasians have a Caucasian doctor, 80% of Asians have an Asian doctor. So Again, people are naturally mm. kind of gravitating this way in a lot of cases it, based on certain ways that we may search. And I think this bleeds into the last part of the, the study title, which was interesting to me, right? Bias in healthcare. Let's talk a little bit about the bias piece of this, because I think that's top of mind to people over the last couple of years. And it's, it, you know, how are, what has the study found about that? Well, it's interesting because they talk in here about that it's not necessarily, you know, the implicit piece of this, right? It's it's you as a patient almost being hesitant to visit a provider because you're concerned or there's a fear that you might be treated differently. 
not necessarily, I don't think that you have been treated differently uh, or you've got an experience there. It's, it's the, it's the, um, you know, the worry that that may exist. And so they reported on a few things that are relative to that. You know, you mentioned earlier the LGBTQ piece of so the sexual orientation piece or gender piece. Uh, we've mentioned a little bit about race, uh, but also language spoken. So these are the kind of those, the four common ones they say that people are concerned or extremely concerned about discrimination. The study points out 15% of respondents say they have encountered discrimination. But I think a lot of this is around what you said earlier, Reed, about, you know, that they're afraid of having a discriminatory piece. Maybe it's even guiding their their decision making before they actually make that selection. Well, and that's the thing, right? Is in in once you feel discriminated against or you or you feel like you might be discriminated against, certainly they're talking here about trust and, and that that then does obviously go down, but that people will go to another provider. So this is a very real thing of like, hey, you know, um, when you're thinking about it, and we talked about it previously as it related to, you know, the kind of the physician finder tool, if you will. But just trying to set people up to be able to ultimately find what they want, you know, and if that's what they're looking for, looking for somebody that speaks a certain language, maybe has a certain, you know, region or cultural background, even basic things like gender, um, you know, that I think that's important, you know, because people certainly... Um, you know, a lot of females, for example, want to go to a female doctor. I mean, it was almost 70%. So, you know, setting people up where they can find that, otherwise they're going to move on and find it somewhere else. Yeah, you know, that's not to say that those other things that we've talked about when we've talked about finding a doctor online don't matter anymore. Those things are still very important. In fact, even, you know, the report goes on to kind of reiterate that, like experience, the years in practice, specialization and conditions, even providers treatment philosophy, all of those things are very important to the selection process. But all of these other things about like trying to identify yourself in that provider and making that selection based on that, those are becoming more and more important in that selection process. Yeah. And I think they even call out here towards the end of the study, the differences between looking for a specialist versus looking for a primary care physician, right? So there's nuances certainly relative to the consumer, but then we also have to be smart enough to understand that consumers look for more than one thing. You know, we're not all just looking for primary care physicians. And then from there, the primary care physician just takes it and they make referrals. We talked about referrals earlier. Yes, when you're looking for a primary care physician or that lower acuity into the spectrum, then location is very important. Years in practice, somewhat, you know, where they're affiliated potentially, uh, not so much where they went to medical school or their training and, and those types of things. But as that acuity goes up, the study in here talks about the fact that location, then it kind of flip-flops, becomes less important. If you're you know dealing with a chronic illness or uh, you've been diagnosed with cancer, you're probably not as worried about how far you have to drive or where you have to go. It's more just about the end goal, the outcome. So it's more about specialization, years in practice, where they went to medical school and training then does become more and more important. It's great that we're getting more and more of this research to kind of bring forward some of these results because the consumer preferences are ever-changing. And that's the thing about if we're really embracing that healthcare consumer and consumerism, this is really what we have to understand is, is how their preferences and their decisions are being changed. 
I think this is a good good opportunity to uh, jump over to our interview. I had a chance to visit with Greg Matthews, a good friend of the show, good friend of the network, host of Data Point. But I don't know anybody that knows more about physicians in their kind of online world than Greg. And so I was fortunate enough to be able to sit down and, and visit with him here recently. So we'll take a quick pause and jump to that interview and then be back to wrap up the show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert portion of the podcast today. Joined once again uh, by fellow co-host, longtime friend, supporter, colleague, Greg Matthews. Welcome. Thank you very much. Good to be back. So for those that are not familiar, Greg also hosts a show here on the network called Data Point. And again, you can go over to touchpoint.health and find out more there. When you're not podcasting, Greg, what are you doing? Maybe tell everybody a little bit about uh, what you've been up to in recent months and years. When you and I met, I was working at Humana uh, back in the very, very early days of social media and uh, trying to figure out how patients and doctors were going to use that platform for healthcare. And that's something that really intrigued me, uh, the ability to, to, to study and learn from that. And if you fast forward a dozen or so years, I started a company called HealthQuant in 2018. It was designed to really look broadly at how influence works in healthcare, particularly around physicians. Uh, and so today, the work that we do is centered around, on one hand, helping pharma, medical device, and digital health companies connect with physicians who are really leading their fields in various areas through research and publication, through clinical trials, through media and social media presence, uh, and helping them align themselves with the right people. And then from a hospital perspective, we also work with a number of companies to help them understand how to better connect with unaffiliated clinicians based on leveraging the networks of their affiliated clinicians. Uh, and so lots of work thinking about how doctors connect to each other and connect to patients. Man, 2018, I, that seems like a long time ago all of a sudden. So <laughs> I can't believe it's three years. Yeah, I can't believe it's been that long. Well, so Chris and I have been talking through the show a little bit about a, a recent Prescani study around experience and then uh, you know how people choose. And we've talked a couple of weeks ago about you know, physician finders and websites and that kind of thing. But this this white paper from from HealthSpark, which is a, a Kairos company, uh, has come out talking about how people like to choose physicians that are like them and around some of the bias in healthcare and some of those types of things. And so I know you and I have talked a lot about physicians through the years. And like you just talked about, you're, that's kind of where you're spending your day thinking about what those networks look like and those spheres of influence and things like that. But you brought up an article from Kevin MD about uh, how I use social media to get promoted uh, that, that talked about one particular physician then also a little bit of the stuff that the Mayo Clinic's done historically about you know, incorporating social media into some of their work. I know you've kind of got a personal experience as it relates to some of these types of things and, and the role social media can play just in the, you know, 
not the actual delivery of care, but but getting connected to the right care. Is that is that the right way to say that? I think that I think it absolutely is. That I, I'm so intrigued by this idea of consumers really looking for people that are going to understand them, and you know whether that's people that come from a similar background or racial background, whatever it might be. In fact, a lot of my clients now are really focused on that, trying to understand, uh, particularly from a diversity and inclusion perspective, you know, who are doctors that are actually not only doing great work in medicine, but also really focused on increasing diversity and inclusion in such a way that it enables patients to connect with, with uh, clinicians who look like them and have some degree of shared experience. But you are absolutely right. I I sort of uh, try to walk the talk, and so when I moved from Austin, or from uh, Louisville, Kentucky, to Austin, Texas, uh, eleven years ago now, I of course had to find an all new set of doctors, and I actually found my doctor from a tweet that led me to his blog, uh, and he write he was writing a lot at the time about the treatment of adult ADHD, which is something that is uh, of interest to me personally, and so I wound up getting an appointment with him and he was my doctor for the next several years. That is now how I tend to approach finding a physician because most physician finders, uh, and I I don't want to step on any toes around here, but most physician finders are not awesome in terms of telling (laughs) you more than just what is this person's address uh, and phone number and are they accepting new patients, which is not a great way to get to know know, somebody who's going to be sharing intimate details of your life. And I think, you know, to be fair, as the acuity level goes down, uh, it is very much a convenience-based play uh, on kind of that end of the spectrum, right? Location, are they accepting new patients? And if they are, when? You know, when, like literally, when can I get in? Uh, do they take my insurance? You know, it's that kind of stuff, right? Yep. I think as the acuity goes up or the specialty or, or whatever it may be, chronic disease, uh, you're diagnosed with something that, you know, you're going to be dealing with for some period of time. Uh, what we saw in some of these, the white papers we were looking at is the, uh, you know, how important is location then goes down, right? In Texas, it's very common that people will drive to MD Anderson in Houston from around the state, for example, and probably even South Louisiana and some different areas. Um, well, that's not terribly convenient, but you're, you're not as concerned with convenience at that point. Sure. Chris and I were talking about this, this idea of bias and that they talk about kind of in this, this paper is like, you know, inherently, you know, did you experience bias? Maybe not, but there's a, a concern that you might. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts around social media and how that can particularly play a role in alleviating concerns or giving more context or whatever it may be? I don't think social media is the only way to get through some of those things, but it is a good way to do it. And what I mean when I say that is there are, you know, a number of hospitals that have done a really good job, a number of medical practices have done a really good job of finding ways to help patients get comfortable with who their clinicians are. A lot of the time that happens through video. I remember uh, talking to somebody that we both know and have known for a long time, Howard Lux, uh, who's an orthopedic surgeon in New York. He was one of the real pioneers early on in terms of using video to ostensibly educate patients. And I think he did that. But what he told me several years ago is that in addition to 
you know, being an education vehicle, it had an alternative benefit, which was, he said, when, when I saw a patient for the first time, they already felt like they knew me. They felt like it felt like a fourth visit uh, rather than a first visit because they'd watched my videos. They knew how I talked. They got comfortable with my language. And I think a lot of people ultimately would feel much more comfortable choosing a physician if they have a little more access to, you know, who is this person and what are they about? I think you're exactly right. And it's funny. It makes me think of trying to think who it was. I heard say this, but I, I think it was a sports talk guy, you know, or something. It, it, he was like, you know, people come up to me in the airport or wherever and they act like they know me because they hear me talk every day and they hear me talk about my family and they hear me talk about the, my preferences. And, and it's funny, I've never made that correlation to hear somebody that you listen to and they're telling you what they think on a daily, in this case, on a daily basis or all day, every day or whatever, and, and what their preferences are and that kind of thing. So when you see them for the first time, now it's a little unsettling to this particular person in the airport, but in, in the case of the physician, when you show up, you're potentially more educated. You're potentially, you know, you, you know where they fall on certain things, issues or what they think about certain things, whatever. And so maybe that gives you the comfort to go ahead and to your point, skip to the fourth visit, right? Because I think that sometimes is the problem where it's like, well, so how are things going? Oh, no, they're, they're good. Yeah, no, I feel good. Yeah, things are fine. You know, and it takes a little bit of time before you're like, well, you know what? I've been struggling with a lot of anxiety. Yes. Chances are you may not say that on the first visit. And it would help if you did. Exactly. To your point, if we could get to a place where you know people were authentic online, therefore uh, making it a little bit easier to be authentic in person, then um, I don't know. That, that, that's, an, that's an interesting idea. I think you're demonstrating a lot of humility by pretending that was somebody else and not your own story as a rock star podcaster constantly being recognized out in public. Is that that's what yeah. you're really yeah. trying to say, right? Yeah, no, that's that's right. The only part of that story that was me was probably the anxiety part, not so much the being recognized in public part. It's such an interesting concept. And if you if you play this out, and this is where the the couple of articles that I shared with you, I think enter into the story, right? You were talking earlier with Chris about you know, how does this potentially impact patients and their ability to make a good decision and, a, and an effective decision in terms of forming a relationship with a provider, finding a provider and then forming a relationship, but then also, okay, what's the benefit to the provider there, whether that is an individual physician or whether that is a medical practice or whether that is a hospital, I have to believe that if people, if there are more people like me out there and obviously there are, or, you know, those kind of articles that you cited wouldn't be, wouldn't have been written. That's a big benefit to the medical practice or the hospital in addition to the patient, because they're finding patients who are going to be a fit, right? They're not getting people in there who are the wrong patients at the wrong time. They're getting the right patients at the right time. And that's something that's really good for their business as well. And so I'm, I've just, I was really intrigued by this article that I saw posted this week. You referenced it on Kevin MD uh, by a doctor named David Stukas who used social media to get promoted to professor. That was his, that was his assertion in the article. And you don't normally think of social media as something that would lead to a promotion, 
But if you follow this logic that you and I have been talking through, it actually makes a ton of sense, right? Because social media is a way not only to bring patients, the right patients at the right time to you, but it's also about bringing attention to the good work you're doing. It's about being able to attract peers and collaborators. All of those things become possible when you have some form of public presence. Well, my entire career is because of social media at this point. So, uh, you know, re- realistically, it's funny. I was talking to somebody the other day and I was like, you know, what I do for a living wasn't, didn't exist when I was in college. It's not like you could major in it. Uh, you know, my entire career has been a gamble to this point. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, huh, I hope this works out. And, and it has, and largely because of social media, not because of the tools themselves, but be what that's afforded me and the connections and the relationships. And, you know, whether that be from a thought leadership standpoint or just the literal connections like you and I have, or Lee Acey or Chris Boyer that I host the show with, et cetera, you know, are all because of social media. And so it's interesting because in most cases, when we talk about careers in social media, it's usually it costing someone their career because it's something <laughs> stupid they said. Uh, so That's I think right. it's nice to see that, you know what, there really is a utility to this. There is an upside to this, certainly. And I mean, just like anything else, I mean, it's, you know, a certain level of responsibility that it takes. But And there are always going to be folks sort of on the fringe who, um, you know, don't don't believe it, don't buy it will do their share of scoffing, but it's really interesting. I, through social, me- social media, met a cardiologist at the Cleveland Clinic named Ankur Kalra, uh, who had written a really interesting article about the comparison between scientific credibility via research and publication versus online influence. And he was exploring a theory that it wound up being called the the K index, the Kardashian index. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but there was a, a, a researcher in, in the UK who published probably four or five years ago now, a thing called the Kardashian index, which is sort of a tongue in cheek way of saying, hey, if you post a lot on social media, but you don't have a lot of scientific credibility, you have a high Kardashian index. In other words, you're a celebrity for being a celebrity. <laughs> and so this Dr. Kara was exploring this and I got really into it. And so we wound up doing this research together with some really high profile folks. Like this is not your mom and pop folks, right? D- Dr. Kara is a really prominent cardiologist at Cleveland Clinic. Uh, we work with Deepak Bhatt from Harvard, uh, Bob Califf, who is the once and future head of the FDA, were co-authors on this project. And what we have pointed out was, yes, scientific credibility is important, especially in this day of you know prevalent misinformation. But being able to augment that with an online presence that has meaning, that allows you to share good information, that allows you connect, to connect with colleagues and patients and others who are important, not only to you, but to the, to the business of health, like there's real value in that. And so I guess that's my closing thought, right? This is not the rare case anymore, right? We're hearing multiple, like Mayo Clinic, if Mayo Clinic thinks that social media is a criteria for tenure tracking, that's something that people should probably start paying attention to. You know, if the head of the FDA thinks this is a worthwhile thing to be doing, maybe something to be paying attention to. I, I think you're exactly right. So again, I, 
you know, gone are the days that this is like, ooh, this is neat. We should, you know, maybe should dabble in this, you know, kind of thing. I don't, I don't know that we have that luxury anymore. Is really anybody that provides a service, you know, probably. And so certainly our medical community is not exempt from that. But man, thanks for coming on. I, I think this has been a really interesting conversation and, and probably something we ought to dig into after the new year. But um, I think this is really cool. Glad things are rocking and rolling for you. If people want to reach out and connect, what is the uh, best way for them to do that? My website is healthquant. Dot health, so H E A L T H Q U A N T, healthquant.health. My email is greg at healthquant.health, and uh, you can always reach me on Twitter at chimoose, C H I M O O S E. He's Greg Matthews, longtime friend, podcast host, entrepreneur, uh, smart guy. So reach out to him. Uh, greg, thanks for coming on the show and look forward to having you back in 2022. Thanks, Reed. See you soon. Special thanks to Greg Matthews for coming on the show. Certainly appreciate him and his expertise and friendship and support and all that kind of fun stuff over the years. So it's great to have him have him back on for the first time in a little bit. You know, we're getting here towards the end of the year, which means our uh, annual award show. If you haven't seen it, we've uh, posted a couple of different links and we'll continue to do so. We'd love kind of your input on those awards. So we've got a little survey that's hanging out there. Promise it won't take you more than just a couple of minutes, but would love your input on things like the the show of the year. And we've got some some things in there that you can choose from, or you're welcome to go out to the site and we've got links for that and choose which episode you found most valuable, favorite guest, they, all that kind of fun stuff. So would appreciate that. Certainly sign up for the TPS report, like we mentioned earlier over at the website, touchpoint.health. So here we are. And uh, gosh, we've only got a couple of these left. So uh, let's do a recommendation and then we'll be on to next week. Sounds good. Um, so uh, my recommendation is based on uh, a game that I just recently started to play over the holiday season, a board game with a family. I was able to spend Thanksgiving with some of my uh, family members. And then also we had a mini family get together for Christmas just this past weekend. At both events, we ended up playing a new uh, board game that is not new, but it's new to me. And it's called Ticket to Ride. Have you ever played it before? I have not. It's a really fun game. It's basically a game that's a combination of cards and a map where you're you're basically mapping out train routes between different cities. In this particular case, uh, it, it's a U.S. map, and you pick some cards, and you say, try to build a train route that's continuous with your color from, let's say, Los Angeles to Miami, for example, which happens to be one. And then what you do is you do it in various different segments, and you start to build your train map in certain ways. And it's nice. a lot of fun. With You can play from two to five people. You don't share with others what your train routes are, so you're kind of competing for the same segments. And so there may be times where you route it different ways. The point system is really interesting because you you keep track throughout the game where your points are at. And then at the very end, you also then get points for if you've completed your routes. And then you get a bonus if you complete the longest train segment of any other player in the game over the map of the United States. It's a lot of fun. If you like board games and you like to play with, it's very appropriate for kids and family members. This is one I definitely would recommend that you get and start playing. I think it's going to be on the, you know, on the table, so to speak, for future family get-togethers because it was so much fun. That's my recommendation. Ticket to Ride. 
Nice. I like it. I like it. I made a note here. I'm going to go check it out. I'm going to recommend an album for you to go down to the local record store and pick up um, or download. It's a band that I've liked for a long time called Need to Breathe. And it's all one word, Need to Breathe with an E on the end. Uh, rock band. They, I think they actually live here in Nashville now, but I think they're from South Carolina. Great sound. But anyway, they had a new album come out this year, a couple of months ago, maybe called Into the Mystery. Uh, so the title track is really good, Into the Mystery. Uh, also, the first track on the album, What I'm Here For, is great, as well as the last uh, track, West Texas Wind, is really good. But anyway, some collaborations with folks like Carrie Underwood is also on the album. And so anyway, it's, it's really good, uh, really mm-hmm. good album. I'd recommend picking it up or streaming it uh, wherever you happen to be doing that. So Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Need to breathe. Well, speaking of streaming, show us a little love, download, rate, review, subscribe, all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, wherever you happen to listen or stream is a great way that you can help us out this holiday season. So connect with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, all those kinds of exciting parts of the interweb. And again, website touchpoint.health there's Boyer I'm Reed Smith and we'll see you next week this has been a touchpoint media production to learn more about this show and others like it please visit us online at touchpoint.health